the householder from Matthew chapter 13 verses 51 to 52. You might or might not remember that a couple of weeks ago I said that the parable of the sower would be the conclusion, would be the last in our series on the parable. Well, I think I jumped the gun a little bit on that. So, um, I've had a change of heart, um, which I tend to do quite a bit. So, it is actually this morning that we come to the last message on our series in the Kingdom of God. And, more specifically, the parables which Jesus told to teach us some of the mysteries of the Kingdom. So we conclude with the parable of the householder, which is like a postscript of Matthew 13, which is full of parables of the kingdom. So, it, so this postscript, this last parable, gives us a fuller understanding of this great passage from Matthew 13. Now this parable is, is different to, to the others, and while it is, it is aimed directly at his disciples, not the crowds, because he took them, this was already in a private setting, Jesus tells them what their task is going to be within the kingdom. And he does not start with the kingdom of heaven is like, but he deals with the kingdom of heaven because it says so within the context. So this short parable teaches them and he teaches us as followers of Jesus how best to respond to these mysteries of the kingdom so that we are firm, we are secure, we are able to to stand and apply these things in our hearts and into our lives each and every day. So it gives us what I uh, have put down here, a a three-step process for the disciples of the kingdom of every age that we can follow. So the first part is understanding, understanding. And Jesus said this, he says, have you understood all these things? This is in verse 51. Have you understood all these things? And they said to him, yes, After Jesus has revealed to his disciples the secrets of the kingdom, he has this important question. Have you understood all these things? He doesn't say some of these things. He says all these things. He has just given them seven parables of the kingdom. Some, of course, like I said, in the public context and some of them with their interpretations in a more private context. Now, the word translated understood means put things together, to to send things together. He was asking them, have you, do you understand, do you comprehend them? Do you put all the pieces of this puzzle together? Have you been able to do that? Now, any good teacher, and we have a few of those in our congregation, wants to know that his students are getting it, right? He wants some feedback, we call it. Earlier in the chapter, Jesus quoted the great Isaiah when he said in Matthew 13, verse 14, he said, you will 
be ever hearing but never understanding. You will be ever seeing but never perceiving. Which is a sad indictment, isn't it? It, it, it does, in many ways, describe our generation. But his disciples are to be different than the rest of the people who are under judgment of God. Amazingly, after Jesus asked them a question, the, the disciples respond very quickly, without even batting an eyelid. Yes, they said. Yes, 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 fine, yes, 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 all good. Now we must obviously question whether they actually understood what Jesus was asking. And, and, and maybe we'll, we'll give them the benefit of the doubt and, and say, well, yeah, they understood at this level, but perhaps as we will discover later on that many of the things that Jesus told them, they still weren't able to understand even very late in his ministry. It was only after, after Jesus left and after the coming of the Holy Spirit that their eyes were opened to the truth that Jesus left them. And as they, were, they put things together, they said, hey, that's actually true. This is what Jesus actually told us about. And that tells us that we're always learning, isn't it? We're always trying to understand these things. And it's not until we're actually confronted with something in our lives that, aha, that aha moment comes. Say, wow, now I understand. Even though the lesson might have been taught before, it is applied and understood later on. Let's be honest and say that we all struggle to put the pieces together of this thing we call life, don't we? I know there are some of us who are confident and perhaps even overconfident, but there is nothing like a bit of trial or difficulties to knock the confidence from under our feet. We all need understanding. And that is exactly what our Lord came to give us. He came to give us so many things, but understanding was obviously one of them. In his letter, in his first letter, uh, John says, in 1 John 5.20, this is what he says, he says, We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. Now this great verse brings two things together. The good news of the gospel is not only God's revelation of truth, of the way that things really are in this world, but more than that, he has come to reveal himself to us as the truth incarnate. Because Jesus is the great theme of the kingdom parables. Because he himself is the king. And the mysteries of the kingdom cannot be understood apart from him but they can be understood through a personal relationship with him by faith. The scales fall off, the veil is lifted. In other words, understanding is related to a person who is 
the truth, embodies the truth. And that person is Jesus Christ. Without him, sadly, you will be forever hearing, but never understanding. It does not make sense. This is why Augustine said, Seek not to understand that you may believe, but believe that you may understand. See? That's the twist. That's the correct order of things. The truth of the Bible, the truth from Genesis to Revelation cannot be understood apart from a personal relationship by faith with the Lord of the Bible because Jesus is the main theme of the Bible. Like I said, right now our world is in turmoil and one of the characteristics of our age is that a lot of people are living in fear. I don't know whether you personally are in fear, but the world is definitely in fear. Paul was describing the people of his day when he said in Romans 3.18, he says, there is no fear of God before their eyes, he said. There is no fear of God before their eyes. He was describing his generation. Before COVID, before all this stuff is happening, happening in our world, it, it's pretty accurate to, to say that our world has forgotten God, that people have no fear of God in them. Very sad, isn't it? And I'm, I'm wondering whether through this pandemic, whether some of the fear of God has been instilled in their hearts. I hope so. Because otherwise, nothing would have learnt. We're just going to go, once the, this pandemic goes, things are just going to go back to normal. In fact, they're going to just get worse. And without God, without a fear of God, that's exactly what's going to happen. And, and because there is no fear of God, that people are overtaken by all these anxieties and fears. This is why the Bible constantly talks about fear. Every time an angel appears, what does he say? He says, fear not. This is why Proverbs says, in Proverbs 9.11, and not just here, but in many other parts, the fear of God, the fear of the Lord, is the beginning of wisdom. And knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. There's that word again, understanding. Understanding and wisdom go together. Folks, fear of God is the starting point of understanding. And because of all of the deceit around us at the moment, um, we need to we need to know, we need to find a way to to sort out between the truth and the lie 
the phony and the real. Who do you believe anymore? Who's telling the truth? Social media is crammed with all sorts of statements from this specialist or that specialist and and sometimes they're contradictory. From this leader and that leader, from that prime minister and that premier, from that president and and then so on and so forth. I said, well, who do you trust? Who do you believe? Let me say that Scripture is very true when it says that behind all of these things are, is who? Is Satan, the devil. This is part of his agenda. Therefore, as we know from Scripture, once you fear God, there is no need to fear anything or anyone else. There is no need for that. So for the true believer, the true Christian, there is no reason to fear. But what we do need is godly wisdom to try and understand the way that God is working in and through our lives in this world. If we don't have our stuff sorted out, um, people come and ask us, What do you think is happening? We need to be able to say something that is wise. We need to not just copycat whatever all the experts are saying, but we actually need to redirect our conversation, our discussion to what the scriptures are saying. That this should be of no surprise. That this is exactly the the satanic program. But God is above all of this. God warns us in his word. This is why we have these words of scripture, to warn us how to stand, how not to fall over, not to just be overtaken by all the things that are happening. And because of this, if you are wanting to understand how God works in human life as much as humanly possible, we are also going to have to be what? We're going to have to be learning not just understand, but we're going to have to be constantly learning. And Jesus said to them, Therefore every scribe who has become a disciple of the kingdom of heaven, and let's leave the rest of it for the last point, every scribe who has become a disciple of the kingdom of heaven. What is he saying here? Well, Let's talk about the scribe. I'm talking, I'm not reading from the NIV here, the NIV, I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible. The scribe had an important position in the community. The Bible tells us that it talks to us about a great scribe. His name was Ezra. He lived about 450 years before Jesus. There's a whole book in the Old Testament written about him. And we're, we're told that Ezra served the people of Israel well because he had prepared his heart to do three important things in Ezra chapter 7, verse 10. To seek the law of the Lord, to do it, and to teach statutes and ordinances in Israel. And the scribe was a person who spent his whole life studying the scriptures. 
At that time, it was, it was the Old Testament. And, and, and he, he needed to know, he wanted to know as much as he could about it. This involved um, copying the scriptures, faithfully copying. There was no photocopies in those days. There was no printers. So he had to, letter by letter, copy it. And there were all rules and regulations about how you are supposed to do it. Another part of that was memorising scripture. The, the mind, believe it or not, is, has this tremendous capacity for memory. Um, it's just that in our time, because of all the information pollution that is out there, it's actually becoming harder and harder to memorise. So you have to be really disciplined to be able to memorise. Um, I, was, I was reading a biography, or the book which tells of his story from uh, Alexander Solzhenitsyn, uh, the Gulag Archipelago. And part of the way that he survived his years in the Gulag, in the concentration camps, and, and the working in torturous conditions, the way that he survived when all around him a lot of people were dying and committed suicide and the rest, uh, is that he, would, he actually started writing poems and then memorising because you couldn't just simply write on a piece of paper because they come and check and, and take away everything you had. So he would memorise line after line after line, one day, next day. So he went from 100 lines, memorising 100 lines of poems, 1,000 lines. He got up to 12,000 lines of a poem. Just think about that. But in a concentration camp when there is nothing else to, <laughs> to think about, there's no other pollution, your, your, your thoughts are very much concentrated. You're just surviving from one day to the next. But it just tells you about the tremendous capacity. And, and these scribes, it was, it was almost nothing for them. It was expected of them to memorise the whole of the law, the books of Moses. That was, that was standard, memorise the Psalms. More than that, it wasn't just for his personal benefit, and I'm going to talk about this more, but he also stood before the people and expounded and explained until they understood it. Sadly, by the time that Jesus came, the, the scribes had, had moved away from the Ezra model. Uh, and in the Gospels, there are mainly three groups that opposed Jesus' ministry and continually came after him and opposed him. And they were the, the chief priests. We, in our series in John, we spoke about them. The chief priests, then you had the, the rulers. The rulers were the members of the Sanhedrin, which composed of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And then the, the third group were the, the scribes. Uh, and so they continually tried to trap Jesus. But the scribes were, let's call them the smart ones. They were the clever ones who came to him with questions deliberately decided, uh, with the, to try to trap Jesus, to trick him. And this is why Jesus spoke negatively of them because the, by that stage the, the scribe had become part of this very legalistic, self-righteous group of teachers. 
So therefore, it is surprising, isn't it, that Jesus is basically telling his disciples here, guys, you are going to be like scribes. You have to be like scribes. You are, to be, you are going to be authoritative interpreters of the word of God. You're going to be men trained in the kingdom of heaven. So this depicts the disciples, the follower of Jesus, at every age, not just the pastor, not just the theologians, as a diligent student of the Bible. Like the scribe, continually looking, continually searching and studying the Word of God. Again, think of the times in which we live. And I, I have to confess, I do get discouraged when people tell me that they don't have time to read the Bible. That they don't like to spend... Oh, they've got time to watch movies and flicks and they've got time for everything else. But they don't have time to read the Bible. It's discouraging. I, I, I'm just telling you how it, it makes me feel inside. I say, well, how are you going to grow? Well, just listening to sermons. Well, how do you know that what the pastor is telling you is, is the truth? I could be telling you Mary had a little lamb. And you'd be saying, praise the Lord. What verse is that? What? Guys, please, I'm begging you, don't be lazy. Read the Bible. There's enough copies, there's enough translations, there's enough of them out there. Study it, meditate upon it. How desperately we need followers of Jesus who try and understand, who struggle with the text. To, to see, to understand, therefore you can make sense of what is happening in our times. The great thing is that you don't have to go through the, the pain of... Uh, you know, trying to figure out everything for yourself. This is why God gave us the examples of these men and women in Scripture to say, hey, look at that example, and hey, look at what God did in their life, in their situation, God used them for their time. The, the Bible is full of people like this. You don't have to figure it all out for yourself. Follow the examples. You do find the answers in his word. And David said this about the word of God in Psalm 19 verse 11. He said, by the word of God, he says, By them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Like the Bereans, Acts chapter 17 verse 11 the Bereans, what did they do? They received the message with great eagerness. And what did they do? They then went back and they examined the Scriptures every day 
to see if what Paul said was true. How good is that, eh? You have to go home and also check what this Paul is saying is true. It is the business of every Christian to seek to understand through learning. Because why? Because you are being trained for the kingdom of heaven. Trained to see what God is doing in the affairs of men and and seek to interpret it and understand it. This is why these things are not for everyone. These are not for passive listeners who are mildly curious. Oh, pastor! This, this verse in Revelations, okay, have you read the rest of, you know, all the previous books of the Bible? No, no, you're just interested in Revelations. No, it does not make sense. I'll let read the rest of the stuff. They are meant for those who are eager, hungry learners who love Jesus, have ears to hear and have a heart to follow him. They are for those who eagerly and constantly pray. Pray what? Thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven because we are citizens of the kingdom. And then the third stage is sharing. This is the second part of verse 52, is like a head of a household who brings out of his treasure things new and old. Now Jesus is the only one in the scriptures who ever uses this term for a householder. Uh, It literally means a house despot, uh, the ruler or the master of the house. There is no negative implication here for, for a despot, okay, like a, like a dictator. It, it implies a, a great deal of authority as well as the responsibility for his house. Now, every disciple who is learning the process of life is like a, a man who is the head of a home with treasure. The, the word for treasure here is not the same word for treasure that we looked at the other parable of the, the treasure in the field. It's, it's a different word. Here, it doesn't refer to a thing, it refers to a, a place, a, a treasury, a, a storeroom where one would store valuable things. And all the valuable things are put there for safekeeping. Then what this guy does is that he, he takes out of his resources, he goes in and he takes new things as well as Old things. It's a bit like when you when you do your shopping in your in your pantry. Like you have some stuff that you bought a month ago, and getting close to the use by date. So you better say, no, we better eat this stuff before it goes out of date. Uh, or it, it could be new things, things that you just brought last week, and you mix them both together and you serve up a dish. Now. There is something about this householder that he doesn't have his valuables just in his private museum for his own good. But he's actually sharing this. 
He, rather than keep it for himself, is willing to share them. And there is a balance on what he shares, like I said, between the old and the new. Now in the Bible we have the Old Testament and we have the New Testament. But the New Testament is firmly based on the Old Testament. And much of the New Testament cannot be understood, will not make sense, unless you understand what he said in the Old Testament. And this is why Jesus and the apostles were constantly quoting from it. Also, Jesus challenged the tradition of the scribes and the Pharisees. It's it's not what he condemned was not the tradition, but the the fact that they had put the traditions, their own traditions, they put them above God's word. And this is wrong. So he said to them, why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? And they say, well, because this is the way we've always done it. No, let's go back to what the word of God says, rather than what's been practiced in the past. Maybe what's been practiced in the past has been wrong. Let's go back to the source, to what God said. So there must be a balancing between a traditional understanding of God's truth, but we also need new insights and applications for our time and situations. And this is where we need to be careful. God does not change. This is why it says in Hebrews, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Hebrews 13.8 There is a constant, and the only constant in our world, even before creation, has been God, the Alpha, and the only constant at the end of creation will be God, the Omega. Beginning and the end. It all comes from him and to him. There's a story of a man who visited his old uh, music teacher in his studio. All those musical buffs here, uh, Liz and her crew will be uh, chuffed about this one. And he, he greeted him with, well, good morning, what's the good news for today? And the music teacher didn't say a word. He just went back into his room, picked up a little rubber hammer and struck a tuning fork that was hanging there. And as the note uh, sounded throughout the room, he said, that's A. Now, that was A 5,000 years ago, and that will be A 5,000 years in the future. The soprano across the hall is singing off-key. The piano downstairs is out of tune. The baritone upstairs flats his high notes. But, he said, striking uh, striking the the tuning fork again, that is A. And that, my friend, is the good news for today. You see, all types of music is made and they rearrange it and compose it from this key to the next, but you need a starting point. 
How frustrating would it be for someone like Liz to get her crew together and they're all, the, the instruments aren't tuned? But how would you know they're not tuned? Who has, in fact, who has the right? If the guitar is tuned, how would you know it's right unless it has another source from which to compare it to? A starting point, a foundation from which to build. And that, call it A, let's call it Alpha, that is the beginning. And we build on that. But obviously it then is applied in a different song, in a different context, in a different situation. Well, let's, let's expand on that a little bit further. And I want to look at three areas. Firstly, here is a challenge to the church. The pastor is like a householder who has the responsibility to interpret scripture and to present it, to struggle with it and then come and present the dish to you on Sunday mornings. The treasury is what he has learned and experienced in his life for the good of his house, for the good of the church. He is to bring out all the things he has stored up and present it to the people. It has to be said that not all pastors take this job seriously and not all hearers take what is being taught with the seriousness that it requires as well. More than once I have heard it said, gee, you've got an easy job. Just go and... What hard going to be? You know, for 35 minutes, you just blah, blah, blah on Sunday morning. How hard can that be? Okay, fine. Try it. Also, one of the constant threats to the church, more powerful than persecution, I have to say, is actually heresy. Today we don't use the the term heresy anymore. We call them ideas. A new idea. Over 2,000 years, this has been the constant challenge of the church. But you would not know it unless why? Unless how? Unless you read the Bible and unless you start reading a little bit of church history. This is why the book of Hebrews says that Hebrews 13.8, in Hebrews 13.8 it said what? It said Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. And then in verse 9, immediately after that statement, what does it say? It says, do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. Here is the constant and this, this is the stuff that is off key. Where is it coming from? But it's not from there, it's coming from somewhere else. It's coming from the evil one. And so these new heresies are, that we even see today are simply a rehash of old heresies, but they are rebranded, they are recoded, they are retouched to make it look new. New idea. And the very nature of heresy is that it doesn't sound too bad in the outset. 
You have to be a trained music teacher to be able to say, that's A, that's off key, that's flat. Mm-mm. Come on, you can do better. Liz doesn't do this, right? <laughs> She's grating her teeth. Please. The same way. If you're trained in the scriptures and somebody is, is, is presenting a new doctrine, a new idea, it's, it's, I'm grinding my teeth. For example, there's a, it's been out now for about 20 or 30 years. This, it's called a new perspective on Paul, not this Paul, the other Paul, the Apostle Paul. And, and, and the new perspective on Paul seems innocent at first by shedding some light on first century Judaism. But you look deeper and you discover that it actually seeks to reinterpret what Paul said regarding justification by faith alone in Christ alone, which was the whole thing about the Reformation. So it's a movement away from, from the Reformation. Another, another example, and this is very current, is the emergent church movement, which seeks to attract a lot of young adults by emphasising relationship over doctrine. You look a little bit deeper and you don't... Uh, you find out that they don't believe in absolute truth. The truth is not this objective, propositional thing because nothing is ever either or, good or bad, right or wrong, ugly or beautiful. It's all a shade of grey, right? There's no black and white. And you just go... Up and down, just follow the wave and wherever it goes. It's about feelings. Now I'm going to have some emergent colleagues look at this and say, Paul, that's not true. Okay, prove me wrong. Secondly, the challenge to the family. We should all be aware of the horrible changes uh, in our time regarding the definition of gender and marriage and family. And not all change is wrong. We know that. Things have been changing all along since the time of Adam. They were brought up in a garden and then they were kicked out. That was change. And things are constantly changing in our lives. Like life is constantly, take, constantly taking us through new experiences all the time. Today is Father's Day. But no man is born a husband, a father, or a grandfather, or a great-grandfather. Sure, some do a much better job at it than others while others simply just run away. But we, somewhere along the line we've all had to learn and most of us have had to learn the hard way. We've listened, we've taken information from here or there, from God's word and then had to apply it. But it's been painful. We know that. Change. 
We might uh, feel like little boys taken hostage by this person that you meet in the mirror each morning. But inside of us, there's always this little boy, isn't there? Well, don't worry, by the way. Um, you'll get to return to your little boy. Your little boy is going to be released once you're in a nursing home. Then you can go back to that behaviour, right? Right on cue. <laughs> you don't like new things? Well, there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. That'll be changed, won't it? You don't like new things? We are a new creation. But the thing about, even as you read Revelations, about the new heavens and the new earth, is that it is based upon upon the model from the Garden of Eden. It it is based upon what God has given us in Jerusalem. It It is a... We're getting pictures and images which God has already... So it's a continuum. Even the new thing is a continuum which is based on the old. That's life, isn't it? New experiences and challenges at every stage. And thirdly, the challenge to society... Civilizations have been built one on top of another. But you see, there's no need to reinvent the wheel because there are eternal, unalterable principles passed down from one generation to the next and hopefully they've learned from the past and they've moved on and do things better in the future. We know what works, we know what doesn't. And one of the terrible things today is the deliberate destruction and rewriting of history. This ploy, I'm going to say it, is satanic for it seeks to uproot us from our forebears and tries to implant new ideas, which are basically old ideas, which have never worked, but they're calling it new ideas, based on feelings and emotions rather than the truth. If you want to start a revolution, the quickest way to do it is to cut off the roots. That's the way to do it. You destroy the roots, you destroy the history, you rewrite it, you reinterpret it, and then bang, got this pliable new generation that'll just feed and, you know, bypassing the brain. You might have noticed that the parables that we have studied, a theme that is very, very common in all of them is that, in most of them, sorry, is that there is a seed and this seed needs good soil in which to what? To establish its roots. These roots are essential for the plant's survival, for they help it to, to, to grow, it draws nutrients and moisture from the ground. But there is something else. These roots actually help the, the plant to stay upright. So when the wind comes, it's able to, to stand. We need our roots to grow, to be stable, to reproduce, 
But we need roots. Enough of the fluffiness. Enough of the superficiality. Seek to go deeper in the truth. And life is a matter of planting or building. And and yes, we each of us has this opportunity to build something. Build what? A family, a reputation, a career. But even then, some of these things can disappear overnight due to financial losses, natural disasters, death, unforeseen difficulties. This is life. What are we to do? Well, uh, some 200 years ago, American Secretary of State, Daniel Webster, he offered this advice, and I quote, he said this, he says, If we work on marble, it will perish. If we work on brass, time will efface it. If we rear temples, they will crumble to dust. But if we work on men's immortal minds, if we imbue them with high principles, with just fear of God, there's that, right? And love of their fellow man, we engrave on these tablets something which time cannot efface and which will brighten and brighten to all eternity. Mentions tablets. Tablets. God gave Moses some tablets. What is happening in many of the civic places in the US and in many parts of the world? The Ten Commandments, they're going them and destroying them deliberately. Why? Cutting the roots, cutting the tablets, cutting that which is divine with that which is sacred. We cannot do better than what God has given us. But we can certainly build on it. That is the AK, isn't it? And finally, finally, dear brothers and sisters, I'm, my hope is that you have found these series uplifting, challenging, inspiring even. Because the things that Jesus taught us in these parables are among, they are simple, but they're also deep. Uh, they are the greatest truths that men will ever know. They disclose to us God's program for history. So let me ask you, how did you receive them? It, as if Jesus is himself here asking us, have you understood these things? And you're like, yeah, 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 I understood all of it. Okay, when's coffee time? How will you answer if Jesus asks you, have you understood these things? Do you, do you respond by saying, sorry, Lord, I wasn't listening? Or do you say, yes, Lord, I understood a little bit? In fact, my heart is actually stirred by what I heard. I'm chewing on it. I'm, I'm meditating on it. But I know there's much, much more that I don't understand. Please continue to speak to me. I'm hungry and willing to learn in order to understand more and more.
And based on my relationship with you, I know that you will continue to teach me through the Holy Spirit. I hope that's our prayer. I hope that's our prayer. For all of us. Amen.